0: All right, everybody, we are here with the great Pat Brennan. So Pat Brennan was a strength coach at uh, just about everywhere, Uh, Alabama, the Buffalo Bills, now at the United States Army. He is ranked number 17th all time in the PowerPoint Leaders of Advanced Training, and he was only with us for a few, I'd say almost like five or six months. I think if he would have stuck with us longer, if he was around, he'd probably break every single record that we have. Pat Brennan, how are you doing, man?
1: Good, Coach. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So my first question for you, right off the bat, every time I talk to you, you sound like you're ready to run through a brick wall. Do you drink like uh, six gallons of coffee every single day? Coach, believe it or
1: not, I don't drink coffee, you know. Um, I believe it's something that doesn't, you know, it just doesn't cross my mind when I wake up every morning, man. Never created a habit of doing it. Uh, you know, coffee, man. I believe coffee's for the guys like Mike Marano. They need- <laughs> Yeah, why is that? He he needs something to get I mean, him up in the morning. He needs the extra caffeine to scream at people across the room <laughs> when he's training. You know, that's my that's my take on coffee, man. Never never a big fan of it. Have never... a,
0: um, yeah, that's pretty uh, much it when it comes to. coffee. I'm glad you started this one off by calling Mike Morano out. This is going to be a great great podcast. Have to. So, so uh, I, I want to take this back to an early training story. You're in the gym with me. You're just we're talking about a training a, a training workout that we're about to do. But to our left is another guy we're training. He's got 225 pounds on his back on a barbell back squat. Back when we used to do that, not a lot of weight. It was probably one of his warm up sets, and he plummets to the ground. It's one of the only times one of our guys have been floored, and. What I saw out of the side of my head was that he literally just free fell. Like he didn't control the movement at all on the way down. And you screamed at the kid and you said, man, this ain't the tower of terror. And I laughed hysterically and then t- took a <laughs> step back and said, this is a brilliant analogy. So as a coach now, is that is that something that you do? Do you try and relate your teaching to stuff like that? Um,
1: I would say my perspective on um, – as a coach um, from when I was actually a player – and the lift that would do back in the day has changed uh, drastically. Um, You know, there's different ways you want to approach, um, you know, the training atmosphere um, as far as positive reinforcement and just being a proper uh, teacher and a mentor to these guys. So I don't know if I would uh, use the tower of terror um, in
0: my coaching analogy nowadays, but
1: something along those lines.
0: So I will tell you that I do use it. I mean – for me, it's it's really just a, a cue to tell these guys own the movement up and down, depending on what we're doing. But you gotta own the movement yeah. forward and backward, up and down, I, left and I right. Can't, I can't believe you even remembered that, man. stuff I don't even remember that stuff, man. You know, I, I do try and take a little bit of coaching from every one of you guys that walk through the gym and just add it to my uh, my repertoire because there's there's sometimes you guys have some brilliant moments and it really helps me. So
1: absolutely, w-
0: let's talk about your you know you're talking about yourself as a coach now. First of all, yeah. I had I called you up maybe about a year ago talking you through the program that I had with my high school athletes just to get your stamp of approval on it. And one thing that you and I talked about was not rushing to have an athlete put a bar on their back for back squats. Is that something that has changed in your coaching approach since we last spoke? Or is that still in your, in your coaching uh, methodology? Well, it,
1: it depends on you know, what you're working with and what audience you're dealing with. So I can tell you from experience here, um, where I'm currently at with the United States Army. Um, when they first started this program, you know we had nothing but sandbags, water jugs, and pull-up bars. Um, so that's something where you have to take into account of what you have. And as far as basic progression and movement patterns, um, yes, I still believe in that. Um, things have changed though, like I said, as equipment wise. so um, as far as putting a, b- a bar on a guy's back, um, you got to make sure you know you do the your proper functional movement screening. Uh, they have the proper movement patterns um, before you can pro- progress
0: them within the actual plan you're doing. And Pat, when you're when you're saying what you have, are you saying that with the with the army, you guys didn't even have barbells? You, the, the stuff you said is what you actually had, so you couldn't even do a barbell back squat. Yes.
1: Yeah, so when we first started this program with the army, um, it, it was a baby. It was about two years ago. Um, now, the Army is changing uh, their ways on physical fitness. Um, so rather the old-fashioned sit-up, push-up, and two-mile run, uh, they're taking a more uh, holistic health approach, um, more compound movements, more functional movement screening. Um, so, yeah, when we first started this program, man, that's all I had was sandbags, uh, water jugs, and pull-up bars. So that's how I progressed my guys. And as time, as time went on, um, you know, we got uh, the proper equipment. Uh, we actually work out of a gym, gym, out of a box. It's called a GIB. Uh, where they, you know, provide you with the bars, the medicine balls, the kettlebells, the bands, all the good stuff for prehab, activation, proper warming up, and all that good
0: stuff. Now, when you say gym out of a box, is that something that the U.S. Army is providing to to every regiment?
1: So right now, we're only in um, thirty battalions worldwide. Like I said, man, it, it's a baby. Um, so yeah, the army is providing each battalion that we're working with in this pilot program uh, about seven gym in the boxes each because um, within a battalion that we're working with we have five companies that consists of overall a 500 person unit a 500 person ch- soldier unit um so that's what they're providing with us as of right now we don't have any gyms we have access to um we're solely working out of a gym in a box so
0: so talk me through this are the guys that you're training a are they they're currently in the army are they at a boot camp they're like already they're in
1: Yeah, so they're they're currently – they're already in the Army. So they go through boot camp, uh, they go through their schooling, and they come into the Army,
0: uh, and that's when I get a hold of them. And what are they doing while they're not training with you? Is this something that they do three times a week? Is this an everyday thing with you, how does it work?
1: So it's pretty much like training anything else, like training a high school football team, training a college football team, as far as schedule goes. So you have your your strength days, uh, Monday, Tuesday – Um, They're on a rotation by company. So there's five companies. So my assistant and I, we just rotate the guys through the day. So we have our strength days. And then we have our specific training days, which is for the Army Combat Fitness Test, which is the new standard across
0: the United States Army come October 2020. And what is that test? We have a couple of guys in our crew right now getting ready for the FDMY test, and you, you know how we train. We're running around with farmer's walks and yeah. pulling sleds. They were obsessed. They saw some articles on T Nation about this test. Can you talk us through the test, what the events are, and which one of them is your favorite one?
1: Yeah, so pretty much, like I said earlier, um, the Army's getting rid of the old-fashioned sit-ups, push-ups, two-mile run on how they test their soldiers. And um, with the Army combat fitness test um, – is made up out of is more functional movement, uh more compound movement. So you have a deadlift. It's a three rep max uh repetition and deadlift. Um on a time basis. From there you get about two minute recovery. You go to a standing power throw. Um you get two attempts at a standing power throw. Uh you go into your hand release push ups after that. Um for time. Um moving forward um after the hand release push ups, that's when you go into your um Your sled drag, sprint carry. Uh, So that's something that really taxes you out. Um, They also have some core stability in there with a leg tuck, what a lot of people are struggling with. Um, We can go over that uh, stuff, you know, later in the week if you want to. Um, I can give you some guidelines and plans of how to progress that kind of stuff for the guys. And then they still have the two-mile run, including after all of that
0: stuff. So the, the power throw, is that what, a medicine ball? Yeah, that's what a medicine ball, the power throw. And then the, the, the knee tuck, are they hanging from a pull up bar and they have to get their knee over the bar? Knee tuck, they're hanging from a pull up bar.
1: They have to hit their knees to their elbows. See, so it's kind of technique behind it, uh, something you got to practice. And you got to get those knees to the elbows, man. You got to crunch them out.
0: So, uh, yeah, I, I'm just thinking through that we had done, uh, I think we called it Gorilla Ups. It's very similar, it's almost like a pull up and a, at the same exact time. A, I don't even know what you are call it. You're bringing your knees over the bar, and it is to. So I can only it's imagine brutal. how hard it is. Now, let me ask you this. The, guy, yeah. the, the guys that you have, if they're already yeah. in the Army, do they? what's the reason for the fitness test? So they can stay in the Army, or do they have to be past a certain level of fitness to maintain their status?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. But, you know, what
0: data – so the way the Army works, right? So data drives the instruction,
1: right? Um, the data over the last – whatever it's been 25 to 50 years has shown um, a serious increase in injury within the army setting, you know, guys are getting broken down, um, you know, guys are injured, guys aren't deployable, um, which in the end, it hurts the army because these guys can't, you know, do their job, right. They can't uh, perform their task. And so what's going on, the army saw this, they took this data, um, you know, they tried out a pilot test. They hired about four guys to start two years ago. Um, and right now, as far as strength and conditioning coaches go, um, and right now they're at 60 strength and conditioning coaches, and that's just within 30 battalions, 30 units. So this, this project um, is taking off. Um, the data they're receiving from this program um, has decreased the risk of injury. So in return, guys are more specific to their tasks. They're able to perform their task, And, you know, it's just a whole
0: holistic approach um, to the Army setting. I love it. you got the hair standing up on the back of my neck because I, I've even read things about fire departments. I don't think it's the New York City Fire Department, but very similar. They're taking data. Guys are getting injured. They want functional training. They want uh, prehab, yes. rehab, putting it into yes. the, to their cycles. So yeah. th- for this fitness test, is this something that was handed to you or were you a part of the actual design given how early you are in the process?
1: So as far as design goes – it's, it's literally like having a baby and molding a baby. So four, they started with four guys. Um, the Army liked what they were saying. They wanted to add more coaches. So the way it's broken down, before we even go into that, I want you guys to understand and the listeners to understand how the structure uh, of this program is. First of all, it's called the H2F program. Now, what it stands for, it's a lot of fancy words that we probably can't pronounce. Um, within the structure of the H2F program is a head strength and conditioning coach. An assistant strength and conditioning coach, a physical therapist, an athletic trainer, and an occupational therapist. So that's what we're working with. That's within each unit, each 30 units we are working with worldwide right now. Um, You know, from there, we're learning as we go. You know, we're developing as we go. We're coming up with better ways to um, program, like in a time like now where. You know, we use Excel to program our data. Um, You know, that's some stuff you you deal. I'm dealing with 500 guys here within my unit. I'm responsible for 500 soldiers for their physical fitness capabilities. And it's hard for me to sit there, email, text, program, take phone calls all day, as you would understand. Right. So we're actually um, in the process of um, looking at the programs, Um, programs like Titan GPS, uh, team Builder, uh, Bridge, where we can better access our individualized programs for
0: the soldiers so we can push through that, that through the chain of command. And I don't know if people can appreciate what you just said because you've worked at the highest level. You've worked at Alabama. You've worked for the Buffalo Bills. And let's say even Alabama. What's the most amount of guys that are on a team at any point? Is it like a 100-plus red shirts and gray shirts, maybe 125 guys total? Huh, yeah, about 100 and. I would say 110 to 130 guys, uh, total gray shirts, red shirts uh, included. And, yeah, so, and yeah. a much bigger support staff, right? It's not you looking at every single guy's program. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh,
1: more, research, more resources.
0: So when you got these Army guys, are they I – mean, what percentage of them are like general population guys that have never deadlifted before in their life?
1: I would say about 85%.
0: Wow. So you have not only do you have minutes to this test, you have to take them through the basics of like, this is the position you need to be to deadlift this weight without blowing out your entire body.
1: Oh, yeah. So you start from the ground, you know, the ground up, um, building the foundation with these guys, man. Um, and like you said, going back to your your early, your previous question about the sandbags and the water jugs. Yeah, that's something that should be instilled in everyone's program if you have the access to it, because that's when it comes into play with technique. You know, you can't put a bar on a guy's. That's my theory. You can't put a bar on a guy's back until you teach them the proper movement yep. patterns. Um, you don't want to blow anyone's back out. You know, you got to go through the, the the progressions. It's you know, it's normal for a strength and
0: conditioning coach to work that way. Um, so what would that be? Can yeah, we can we go to your because I, I want to yeah. hear about your general yeah. training philosophy? Maybe what you've taken with you th- through college, through the NFL, and now with yeah. with uh, let's say the military. Yeah. What is your general philosophy? So, I would just say, you know, the
1: way I look at philosophy, man, I'll be honest with you, man. Philosophy is what? Your opinion on the things, your surroundings, right? The things around you, the things you're working with. So, I break my philosophy uh, into two different sections. So, one being culture, um, second being training principle. Um, as far as the culture goes, the way I look at things, you know, you want to surround yourself with good people, trustworthy people who work together as a team uh, and bring different components to the table. Um, people who understand building both the person first uh, and the athlete from the ground up, you know, you need that trust. You need that loyalty. You need that buy-in from the people you are working with. Um, and that that all ties in with being authentic, man, you know, be your true self. It don't happen overnight. It takes time. And moving on to my training principle, um, you know, everything I do is, is scientifically backed. Um, I don't know if you follow coach uh, Alexander Perilipin. Um, i
0: don't yeah so Perilopin,
1: uh he he was a big influence on my career um from my mentors um and what you know what i learned uh growing in this field and you know prilipin he was uh, actually the weightlifting coach uh who trained the guys from the ussr junior and national teams uh back in the 70s and 80s um you know he was a great coach a great teacher and a great researcher and that's kind of uh someone who kind of molded my foundation as a coach as far as Um, programming, proper progressions, volume, and intensities. Um, You know, based on that, Coach, um, you know, the principles you apply vary and change based on the audience you are dealing with. You know, some things don't change. uh, In my principles, you know, start like you always want to do your functional movement screening, your baseline testing, you know, and, and your beginning stages of work capacity. But as far as the levels you work at, and the athletes you deal with, the method, the methods of approach changing, from the the experience of the training age of the athletes you're working with.
0: Man, I got I got a hundred questions for you, but I don't even. Let I me mean, let me let me take one yeah, step. Yeah, man, back. I got
1: so much. I got so <laughs> much in my head right now, depth wise. That we could talk for hours. Well, let me try. The key points. Yeah.
0: Uh, let me try and break this down because there's a million things I want to talk about. First of all, yeah, you always, yeah. there was like this stigma of Pat Brennan, he's a natural, he's a bruiser. He can just show up to a weight room and bench 350, which I think yeah. there's a little bit to it of that. But when did you become this tactician? Because most people who are naturals, they just go in and do it, they don't think about the science behind it. When did you start thinking about that stuff?
1: you know what it was man it was actually it was a turning point in my career as as a person and a professional man when i you know as far as passion goes now i believe you know that's something i was born with um you know through my experiences uh through coaching um and getting more tactical in my approach um that's just something that comes with experience man being at different places you know being a listener Uh, not talking as much, taking all the information you can gather and kind of molding your own self-identity you know, as a professional and as a person. And what it really comes down to is the person you are. You can go tell anyone to go pick something up and put it down, but if they don't respect you as a person and a human, and if you don't bring value to their lives, you're not getting your message across. So I would say that happened. uh, um, My my time at Villanova after I was a graduate assistant at Wagner College, where you still trying to figure out what you want to do. Do you want to be a strength coach? Do you want to be a football coach? And, uh, you know, as I moved on, I went to Marshall and I came back to Villanova and that's when I really said, Hey man, you know, I,
0: I can have an impact on people's lives. And how did you know that you didn't want to be a football coach? Cause like you were a good, real, real good football player. How did you make the, the differentiation? You know what? I'm going to stick to the weight room right now.
1: You know, it's funny. I, uh, so I graduated from the University of Buffalo, right? I came home and I'm sitting in my mother's basement, right? Hot basement, no air conditioner, you know, no money in my pocket, man. I'm down there with my older brother, Brian, who's a, who was a plumber at the time. We're just sitting there, man. I couldn't even afford a Subway sandwich. I said, man, I got to do something about this, man. I said, you know, so I broke it down. I said, Hey, what do I love to do? Well, I love, I love to be around football, right? So Wagner College was up the street from my house. So I would go up to Wagner College when I got home that summer. And I was always looking for Walt Hamline. Walt Hamline was the head football coach at the time. And, you know, I was always knocking on his door. And, you know, it was the summertime, man. Guys are at the country clubs golfing. Um, there's nobody really around, you know, except when you get into the training aspect in June and July. Um, so my third time walking up there, man, I, I, I saw some guy. This guy, he, he looked like a dinosaur. Um, his name was Brian Trace, and he's my mentor. He's my original mentor. Um, I sat down, I spoke with him. Man, I said, hey, I want to get involved in college athletics. This is my history. It's where I've been. You know, I'm just looking for an opportunity to volunteer. So that's pretty much how my strength and conditioning um, career got started, man, just by going up there, talking to people, not knowing what I wanted to be,
0: just being at the right place at the right time. Is it hard being a football guy as you're a strength and conditioning coach, not – commenting too much or caring too much about the X's and O's? It's not hard because I do
1: it anyway when I'm on the field and I see something at any level, you know, the principles stay the same. The foundation stays the same for each position. So if I see something on the field, man, a guy comes off the field, man, I'll grab him by the face mask, man. I'll talk to him like, Hey, look out for this next, you know, next time you're out there. And, and guys listen, because what it comes down to, like I said, is, is the value you bring and the guys respecting you as a person.
0: Yeah, I know when I was in college, I felt like I spent more time with my strength coach than I do with my linebacker coach. I thought that guy was like my dad. So you get instant credibility, and the fact that you play ball gives you even more credibility. Absolutely. So I got to ask again because you're you're a naturally strong guy. You're one of the best running backs ever in Staten Island High School football history. How do you get this humble mentality of, I'm going to listen? Because guys who are as strong as you are, naturally, they usually don't listen. They just say, I'll do whatever the hell I want to do. And they're strong in spite of what they do, not because of what they do. Is it, was this the way you were brought up? Like, what gives you this humble mentality to keep learning?
1: Well, going back to that, Coach, I'll be honest with you, man. It it came, you know, and I'm not trying to, you know, pep myself up or anything, but it really falls back to me being a kid. You know, I grew up in a tough Irish household. Um... You know, my father was a New York City firefighter. He was a 9-11 first responder. Um, You know, he instilled, you know, value into my brothers and I, man. Uh, Blue-collar work ethic. um, You know, the passion to succeed, to be the best at what you're doing always. It was kind of like a yes-sir, no-sir mentality growing up. And, man, it was just – it just molded me. It molded me as a coach, man. And and then moving on, in high school – You know, I didn't apply myself in school. If I could have done it all over again, of course, what I know now, um, I think my life would have been a little easier when it comes to uh, college football and my playing career. Um, So starting from um, St. Joseph by the Sea, I had a total reset, man. I wasn't the man anymore. You know, I was a kid from Staten Island. Um, I, I, I tore my meniscus. I took two years off out of football, out of high school. I had to go to Nassau Community College, man. I took the ferry out there every day for two years to earn my associate's degree, where I played uh, fullback for Nassau Community College. Good every school. day, three hours there, three hours back. A lot of thinking, man. You know, so, a lot so of
0: So When when did this happen? So you graduate C. Are you yeah. you blow your meniscus out after the season's over or during the season? You're senior. Graduated
1: you? C, had no grades. Of, right. You know, then apply myself. Um, got recruited by a few junior colleges. I couldn't even qualify for a division two, division three school, you know, might as well division one. And I, uh, you know, I got recruited by Dean college up in uh, uh, Massachusetts. And during that summer I was training um, and I tore my meniscus uh, doing speed and agility. And man, I just, you know, I just fell into a hole, man. You know, I, I used it as an excuse of why I didn't want to go away and live away from home. I don't think I was mentally prepared for that. And I just sat on my injury, man. And when the time came around, I just, you know, I called the coach up and said, hey, coach, sorry, I can't make it. And, you know, from there, man, I, uh, I get, you know, I eventually got surgery on my knee, but I was sitting at home, man, for two years after my, after my high school playing career. I couldn't even go to the gas station or the deli, you know, to get a bacon, egg, and cheese without somebody running into someone and them asking me, hey, man, I thought you were playing, you know, big-time college football. So I think that's when I really, you know, woke up. And then my journey as far as, you know,
0: you know, uh, going to a uh, Nassau community college and that's where it really started, man. Can, can you expand on that? So is it because someone said to you, I thought you were playing big time college football. Did that hit at you? Is that what made you make the comeback?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's what hit me, man. That's what hit me. And, and going back to, you know, when you coached me in high school and coach, Manolis, you, you know, you always drilled in our head, uh, you don't want to be average. And that's something I always took with me. I don't, I never want to be average, man. I, I fear being average. Um, it scares me. Um. And then, yeah, you know, going down the street, you know, doing normal tasks throughout my day, man. I'm telling you, man, I'll be running into people. Hey, I thought you were out playing, doing good for yourself. I just, it was the stigma of, you know, of just always succeeding in things in high school, prior to high school as far as athletics. And then it was over. And I didn't even put effort, you know, I didn't try to expand on my career. And that's when it really triggered it, when people would tell me that, you know, it just triggered something in my head, man. It just triggered something.
0: Well, look, let's, let's think about your career at sea. I, I know I left C your senior season. I was at Poly Prep, and all I heard from Poly Prep was, who is this Pat Brennan? Like, how good is this kid? Because you were just blowing. You had multiple, I don't know, over 50, 100, 150 yard games. I think you had a couple of 200 yard games, right? At least from my, my poor memory, where you were just know, blowing things a up. Of, a lot of helmet to helmet throughout the day. <laughs> I, can't, I can't, you know, a lot of helmet to helmet. But, that, I mean, C was doing really well. You were the feature back. You were the bruiser. You were, you were like what that program was designed around, a big, bruising, strong running back who had yeah. breakaway speed if he got to the second level. So yeah. uh, I, I get it. I get your that, feeling of, man, I was supposed to be somewhere. I'm not. Yeah. So you, you go to Nassau. Then yeah. what makes you decide to walk on at Buffalo?
1: So I was at Nassau, right? It was a grind, man. Great learning experience. Um, I played fullback. All right, I was really a running back, but at the time, um, they needed a fullback, so I
0: threw on. Yeah, we kind of we kind of glanced over that point, but that's a big deal, right? Like most yeah. running backs don't want to be a fullback. Actually, yeah. pick find hundred kids in the war right now that want to be a fullback. There's probably none. Yeah,
1: but nobody the- wants to be the bruiser, man. <laughs> nobody wants to be the bruiser. Yeah, so I, you know, I was at Nassau, um, did my two years, under my associate's degree, then you know, I'm back to ground zero. Um, you know, where do I want to go from here? Uh, my father had mentioned to me, um, I actually sent my film out from high school and NASA. I sent my film out to one school, um, the University at Buffalo. Um, I don't know why it was one school at the time. Um, it was an in-state school, um, you know, just in case I couldn't earn a scholarship um, right away. I knew it would be in-state tuition where um, it would be affordable. And I gave it about two weeks and I finally got a call back from Matt Simon. Uh, Matt Simon is currently the offensive coordinator at Delaware University. Um he's worked uh with the Baltimore Ravens, won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, uh drafted some high profile guys. So that was pretty rewarding just getting a phone call and he gave me the opportunity, um, you know, as a preferred walk on to go to
0: Buffalo. As a running back or as a fullback or what? As a running back at the time. So now And I guess I gotta interject again and I'm yeah, sorry. But I'm also gonna yeah, say good, as a as a defensive coordinator, I always wanted you to be a linebacker at St. Joseph by the Sea, and the rumor was you would have been a sick, sick linebacker. So that's why I was asking if they recruited you as something else other than a running back, because I think you would have broke some heads as a middle linebacker. But yeah, back to you. They recruited me as a a, a running
1: back because um, I said in my film, I, you know, I had I a had good film from Nassau. But man, I was, a, I was a bruiser, man. I was knocking people out their cleats, like, you know, I mean <laughs> – I mean, it's fun and everything, but you know, you coming from where I came from in high school, I wanted to have a more more of an impact role, you know, on the team. So I sent them, I got together my best clips from high school. Send it. Guy called me back. Called my father back. Actually, and was like, "Hey, we want to give this kid a shot." Um, didn't hear from the guy for about a three weeks to a month after that. So you know, what I did was, you know, I I got the initial word. So I I literally I packed a suitcase. My dad's my dad dropped me off at the airport. I was like, all right, son. I'll see you later. Um, I was like, all right. See you later. I'll call you when I get there. I literally flew into Buffalo, I kid you not, with a suitcase, man. I was living at a motels for like three weeks. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. Cockroaches crawling up on me. Um, I, I, I had a bike. I bought a bike at a garage sale. And I, and I started riding my bike up to, you know, the Buffalo um, uh, Athletic Performance Center. To try to catch this guy, man, because I mean, he called me. They were interested. That's all I needed to hear. I didn't need a second phone call. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my journey, and you know, I finally caught uh, Coach Simon. Um, I started up, uh, you know, in fall in fall camp, and uh, you know, it was hard for me, man. It was, it was hard. It was hard, you know, to begin as far as they put me on scout team. They put Pat Brennan on scout team to start. I saw that as a challenge, man. I don't want to be challenged. You know, that that's that's BS in my mind. The first play I got the ball on the scout team, okay? I ran into the middle linebacker as hard as I possibly could. Right? Now these guys, these guys been together, you know, some of these guys been there since they were freshmen, man. Five years together, four years. These guys are brothers, man. They ain't gonna have an outsider come in and and right. and you know, try to knock them off their feet, right? I ran into this kid so hard. I, I can't remember his name. I ran into him so hard, man. I definitely got a concussion. Um, next thing you know, it the whole defense is on top of me. Just just wailing at me. Beating me up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I said, bring it on, baby. You know, and I kept going. I kept going. I kept helping the team that first year I was there, you know, to get better. Um, you know, to achieve their goals in that kind of a role. Right? And... You know, I didn't have a lot of years of eligibility, man. And, you know, people were encouraging me because I pretty much went from the most hated kid on the team to one of the most liked kid on the team just for my work ethic. Right. And it eventually got me a you know a role on special teams where I was starting on all special teams, where I was able to travel to Ohio State and play in that, you know, the, the horseshoe, uh, travel out to Baylor. Just, I knew I wasn't going to be the man. Right. I knew I wasn't going to be the man, man. My time, my, my, my years were clicking when I took two years off out of high school. I had two years to play two years. I got on the team as a walk on. That first year, you know, they want to mold you. They have their whole system in place. You know how it is, coach. And right. uh, I just wanted to have an impact. I didn't want to be there to wear a jacket. I wanted to have an impact. And that's something that, you know, I feel like I did. You know, I earned the respect from my teammates, coaches. Um, and I had a chance to play. Man, I had a, I had a chance to fulfill my playing Division one football. But that really, mold, that really ties into my coaching career, if you want
0: to go into that. I mean, uh, yeah, because I'm looking at it from my same perspective. I I was a walk-on, not nearly as big of a school at Buffalo, but that stuff humbles you. And the fact that you're sitting here now, you don't know how many years afterwards saying, I just wanted to help the team. I wanted to make them better. I'm glad I got a shot to be a special teamer. That's, got to make you a better strength coach because when you're a strength coach, you're not just coaching up the starters. You're coaching everybody. You're coaching that redshirt. You're coaching that kid that didn't play a down on Saturday. Maybe has to play a JV game on Sunday. And then you really, you man, you could talk the talk. And because you've walked this walk on every different facet of this game. Exactly. So man, (laughs) so how do you go from that? And then you said you went to Wagner. How do you end up with the Buffalo Bills? How do you make this transition? And why do you keep going to such places that are so cold? You know I'm a Viking, man. I love the cold. <laughs> you know I'm a Viking. So, yes, how, how do you make your way into the NFL?
1: All right, so to make a long story short, um, I was at Wagner, did my two years, um, had the opportunity to go out to Marshall. I was a head strength and conditioning coach for men's basketball. Um, now, now, just remember, when you're building your career, and I'm sure someone like you knows this, it's like anything else, man. You start, you know, lowest on a totem pole no matter who you are. Right. So a lot of these jobs that you see in the college sector are part time work. So there's a beginning and an end. There's a contract. Um, so moving on from Wagner, right? Beginning and an end, I was there to earn my master's. That was a two year
0: program. I uh, earned my MBA in business management. Gotta move. How does that work? They say you got six months, you got a year. You know exactly when the end yeah, date it's is? Yeah,
1: pretty much uh, two years. I was there for a little two years and change, just depending on when you fulfill your requirements. Um, for work and your credits. Um, moving on to Marshall, man, that was my first real job, man. I was excited, right? Division one school, having an opportunity to work with the basketball team on the Olympic side of things. Uh, shout out there to Marshall in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, but that was another contract. It was a beginning and an end. It was a 10-month contract, right? One day I got a call from Brian Trace, um, who was at Wagner, who hired me at Wagner as a graduate assistant. He got the head job at Villanova university for football so i packed my bag once that contract was over at marshall right excited to get back into football shot down to philadelphia i was the top assistant uh for men's football under coach trace um it was a place i really loved to be at um at the time my my wife was actually living in buffalo uh Niagara falls and my first day at villanova coach i kid you not I get a phone call at the end of the day, right? did all at work. My first day there, I get a phone call from my wife. I'm pregnant. That's what she said. I'm pregnant. She's up at Buffalo. I'm in Philadelphia. I'm living in the weight room at Villanova for four months. I lived in the weight room. I finally got an apartment after that. The first day I'm there, she tells me. She-
0: Wait, you're, li- you're literally living in the weight room. You're not just the guy who's working no, no, out no, no. I'm literally, literally living
1: in the I had room. I in the weight room. <laughs> You know, I'm waking up in the middle of the night, sleepwalking. I'm eating peanut butter and jellies, drinking chocolate milk. So I had my whole, my whole uh, nutrition performance room right next to me. I was living in a closet. And, uh, you know, once my son was born, you know, I had to, it was time to be a father. So I had to leave my job in Villanova. I couldn't afford to move my family to Philly. There's too much going on. My wife had a good job. Um, like I said, the part-time contracts, man, They, you know, you don't get paid a lot, as you can imagine. Um so, I, I, you know, I packed my bags, headed back to Buffalo. Now I'm back at square one, and I, I want to continue to coach, right? I'm a father. I'm not going to quit. I'm not a quitter. I walk into my old college weight room. I start volunteering, you know? This is where you got to put your ego to aside. side, you know, to continue to grow as a coach. Um, started volunteering. Um, at the time, Buffalo, the university, It's cold, as you know, it snows a lot. They didn't have a field house where we could practice. So we were uh, commuting to the Buffalo Bills facility where they have a field house during the winter and all that good stuff, right? Um, I was there, you know, ended up uh, walking into um, Jason Osvart. He was an assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Bills at the time. And I kind of made a connection because he used to work at Villanova. And he also worked with the New York jets, um, where my cousin, uh, works, where he currently works as well. Um, so I kind of, kind of like planned my attack a little bit. I used that as leverage and, you know, we hit it off. I I sent him my resume and, uh, I was volunteering, like I said, at the college in Buffalo. And he gave me a call, man. He said, Hey, we have a, you know, a part-time spot, um, where, where you, where I'm going to be working in the off season. Um, you know, summer up until preseason.
0: But then the contract ends.
1: And that's it. And your cousin, you is he a
0: strength coach too for the Jets? What does he do?
1: No, he actually works in the um, he works in the video department with the Jets, but he's more into like a – I don't know what his title is, man. He's all over the place. He's the guy that sits at the draft table uh, and calls the pick-in. Um, so he's kind of in the process. He's been there for about eight years. He, he's kind of, I guess, like transitioning to a scout a performance type of guy, Um, very bright kid. He played uh, football at the University of Fordham um, with my mentor, Brian Trace. So that's how small of a world it is, the guy that got me into the field. So I kind of tied all that in, made the connection. Um, And, you know, the Bills at the time didn't have a spot open. They called me about a month or two later. After I exchanged my
0: resume. And so we have a, a bunch of guys that listen to this you know? podcast that are on their own journey. Some of them are yeah. just starting out coaching yeah. as like GAs in college football. What, what advice do you have for them? Because yeah. it seems like you're telling me a story here. And some guy you met five years ago might be the guy that gives you the job today. What advice do you have for these guys so they can keep their heads up?
1: Well, first and foremost, um, you know, be your true self in that environment. Because um, guys like us, man, mo- you know, most of the guys you are talking about,
0: I would say they're from the yep. Staten Island yep, area. They're all right? they're sea guys. There is guys that went to sea, and they're they're following on a similar path yeah. to you, but in the football sense, not in the strength and conditioning sense. Yeah, they just got to understand, man. Like, hey, we're we're a different breed, man.
1: You know, Staten Island guys, it's our own little world, right? Guys are tough. Guys are blue collar. Use that as your advantage, man. I've been to a lot of places. i um, seen a lot of different people. Met a lot of great people. Um, But there's just something about, you know, the Staten Island uh, camaraderie that's just different, man. We, you know, we bring a different type of approach um, to these type of settings, man. You know, be yourself. Never burn a bridge. Right? Always do what you're told. Um, Do a little extra work on the side. But just do your job, man. Stay focused. Stay in your lane. It's not for everybody. It's really
0: not. So if you don't quit, it's more of like a survival of the fittest type of deal here. And I'm looking through your resume. When you're going to, say, uh, Wagner or Marshall, you're not coaching football guys. Did that eat at your soul, or did you say, look, this is just another opportunity for me to learn?
1: Another opportunity to learn. That's all it was. It wasn't permanent.
0: I understood that
1: in the contract. It's a stepping stone. You know, it wasn't – So most of my moves, coach, it wasn't by choice, right? It was it – <laughs> I had to keep pushing through. You just had to keep pushing through. It was, you know, most of my contracts, like I said, were beginning and end. So get another opportunity to coach women's soccer, man. I would have been on that. That's the kind of mentality you have to have if you want to survive in this profession as a strength coach or a football coach,
0: position coach, whatever you may be. Love it. Love So then take me through the next step of this journey. You you leave the Bills, and now you go to Alabama, you know, the top football school in the world. How how does that happen?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's – All right, so what it boils down to is the the relationships, and you understand this. Um, This is what we try to preach to the younger guys coming up. Uh, Relationships, man. I I ended up uh, building a relationship with uh, guys like A.J. McCarron, um, who was with the Bills at the time. He was a a national championship quarterback at Alabama. Um, Guys like Levi Wallace, who's uh, actually the starting cornerback for the Buffalo Bills right now. He was a walk-on at the University of Alabama. Build the connection with those guys. Um, they said, Hey, Pat, man, why don't you, um, we're going to make a call for you. You know, why don't you go out to Alabama? Why don't you go out to Alabama? If you want to go somewhere in your career, man, we, we'll get you an opportunity in there. You know, you go out and showcase what you can do and then put your head down and work hard. Um, and that's what I did, man. So it's, the relationships got me to that point. It wasn't, Pat that's Graham, crazy
0: that you had a, a player right? players speaking on your behalf. That's sick. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I went out to Alabama, um, I was in a small role, you know, once again now, my son, he's six months old, my wife, they're in Buffalo, and, you know, I packed my bags after a family discussion, I got my car, I drove out to Alabama, I had nowhere to live, nowhere to stay, um, I ended up sleeping on some guy's floor, um, on a mattress, man, some, some guy who was a, who worked within Alabama athletics, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it, man, paid him rent a few hundred a month, and, uh. And you know, I grinded, man. I kept grinding and grinding and grinding. I was away from my family. I was missing my son growing up. Um,
0: you know, and that, that all you know, ties into where I'm at now. And I guess I'm, I'm just trying to get inside your head. It seems like you've been through a lot. It seems like there's no it seems like there's no opportunity yeah. that would scare the hell out of you. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll just be the head coach for the uh, U.S. Army. No problem.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, that's the mentality you have to have. I mean, if you want to survive in
1: this profession specifically – you know, I'm not a desk guy, coach. You know this. I'm not going to be able to sit at a desk. I, I, you know, I have a master's degree in, in uh, business management, but I'm not, you know, I'm not applying that right now. I'm applying something totally different, right? And those experience and the knowledge I've gained, you know, was through these experiences, being at these high caliber places, knowing what it was like to be at those places. That's something that I strove to do, Um, you know, to kind of mold my own personal identity
0: in the strength and conditioning community and I want to change gears slightly here, but in our own little way for advanced training, we've had arguments over what's the best physical fitness test or conditioning test for a football team. And now you've been to high level places like Alabama, places like Buffalo. First of all, I got to ask you, are you even allowed to say, what was the conditioning test for say an NFL team like the Buffalo Bills versus what it was like with Alabama?
1: See, you'd be surprised now. Um, So when you're in the, when the NFL setting, um, there's more resources, of course, right? So it's more specific to the individual, uh, the testing capabilities you have to work with. Um, a lot of it is hands off as well in the NFL. You know, a lot of these guys go home to their personal trainers. Um, you know, we follow what protocol they're doing. They come back. Um, as far as conditioning test goes, um, there's nothing really in stone that would say, "Hey, this strength and condition. This is a strength and conditioning test for the NFL." this is certainly conditioning tests test um, for college football, right? I guess there's different ways you assess their work capacity. So rather than being in high school where you have to run, what, 2,100-yard dashes, right. right, for a conditioning test, you know, at that level, at those levels, you'd be surprised. There's nothing really set in stone. Just show up to the workout, be there on time, and they run you through a program like like anything else, man. Just The consistency
0: of the program is going to get them to where they need to be. Yeah. I'm thinking like at the high school level or a lower level of college, there's this element of trust. What was this guy doing when I didn't see him all summer? You know what, what's going on now? Yeah. And I I've, I've yet to, I've yeah. banged my head against the wall of what I thought would be good tests. But in the end, at the end, it seems like mostly it makes you a worse football player. Like it's not worth doing. Exactly. To me, to me, playing football hard and, and fast is probably yeah. the best football conditioning you can do. If you're playing it hard and fast in practice, one, yeah, because you don't need to run.
1: If you're going hard, your intensity is high in practice. Why, why do the extra conditioning if you don't need it? Now, specifically, if some guy does need it, needs to lose weight, need to get him on the jump rope, need to get him on the elliptical, uh, the bike, That that's different scenarios. That's more individually based. But as far as um, the way I look at these tests, like even the Army combat fitness test, right, the reason why I have a job right now, right, I'm not training these soldiers, for army combat fitness tests. Yeah, that's cool and everything. What we're doing is going to provide them with the results they need, but I'm training these guys for for war. I'm training these guys for life, right? I'm training these guys to be able to survive in their environments, wherever they may be. That's how I look at the testing approach, right? It's cool to track the numbers. You have to as a professional. You got to track their data. You got to see if they're progressing or regressing, but I think looking
0: at it, you want to train these guys for survival. Now, let, let me ask you this because I never really thought about it until you said it, but uh, I'm, I'm in the army. I don't know. I'm in Afghanistan. I'm sleeping in some bunker, and I wake up really sore. And you're right. Th- this is this guy's yeah. life on the line. If he doesn't know how to correct his body or make himself not get sore, he could die, or he could have yeah. somebody next to him die because his, he's, he's stiff that morning.
1: Yeah, well, even the mental toughness aspect
0: of it as well. Now, what are you in, – and in your, what you're doing with these guys, are you ever, like, breaking them down in an attempt to build their mental toughness or are you just trying to weed out the guys that don't have mental toughness? No, a little bit of
1: both. You know, I believe in breaking – of course, breaking the body down for it to grow, right? Um, but I, look, really look, I really look into uh, the mental aspect of it, right? Putting guys through workouts, and that depends on your training calendar, Right? You know, what's your goals for that week? What's your goals for that month? What's your goal for the year? And, you you know, you kind of test the guys as you go, but you want to be smart about it. You know, you want to be, guys are going to be throwing up sometimes. Yeah, of course. But you're not out there to, to, you know, maliciously, you know, hurt people. You want to make them better. But there's stages and levels to that, as you know, and progressions where, you know, some days are going to be harder than others.
0: Now, the hardest thing that I personally ever went through, and it was the biggest beating I ever took in my life, was a little something called a RPR. So I saw this on your resume as something that you do. I have to explain my scenario before you jump all over me, but I was at a conference for con- contrarian football thinkers. It's about, I don't know, midnight. We're back at the hotel talking about what we learned that day, and this guy who was presenting the next day just to- decided to do – quote-unquote RPR on me in the lobby for about an hour and I was almost crying slash laughing every second of the way because it was such pain that I was and it was tickling me which I realized was not a good thing but it would hurt so much having said that after I took this course I'm certified level one now I'm ready to go I figured out that the beating I took wasn't supposed to be a beating but I want to hear your experience Are, are you using RPR and are you using it in the setting that you're in or can you only use it with a smaller group of guys
1: yeah. So as far as reflexes, performance, reset goes, um, I can't. It's it's hard to imply as of right now in the military setting. So that's more of something that you'd be using with advanced training, um, more individual base, you know, hands on, um, where you can really have a uh, a good hold on everybody. With me, I'm dealing with what 500 guys. Um, the, the thing I uh, find trouble with it. Um, uh, I think it's a great system. Um, it works for firing. Uh mechanisms, resetting people, you know, having the right muscles fire at the right times. Um, but to teach that in the military setting, man, you got to hold the guys accountable. And we're just not at that point right now. It's going to get there. Trust me. You know, I'm involved with this uh, program, you know, and I'm finding ways to make it better um, each day. So it's going to get there. But right now we're
0: just not there. We're not there when it comes to reflexive performance reset. That's and I- an accountability thing, you know. I, I did a bad job of, on this podcast of explaining what RPR was. I'm glad you said it. it's a reflexive performance reset. Uh, for yeah. those of you listening who have no idea what it is, imagine some sort of voodoo uh, wizardry where you rub. <laughs> you are you know vigorously rubbing parts of your oh. body that are trigger points. And as Coach Brennan said, it allows you to fire your muscles at the right time. So uh, the way I've heard it best explained light. was your muscles are like lights. They're like light bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. And your central nervous system is like the electric electric wiring that goes to that light. It's the light switch. And if you're not turning that switch on, well, then you're not going to fire things at the right time. And, and the reason it's painful is because a lot of, like at least in my world, my body was so matted down. My muscles were matted down. They were literally oh, yeah. stuck to my ribs. So – To to your point about this, this is the nutty thing. The people at the contrarian football conference I was at, one of the guys is the founder of RPR. He's the literal founder of it. He's given the class. He's the guy. Oh, man, I can't remember his name. Chris 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 Porfis? Yes, he's a sprint guy. He's a sprint guy. So he he opens up this contrarian football conference, not talking about football at all, but he's talking about sprinting mechanics. And it was Awesome. He's like, here's why you're slow. Here's why your sledge reg stinks, blah, blah, blah. It was great. Then the next day he got into why you're, in, why you're running wrong, maybe because of these firing patterns. It, it really was a beautiful thing. what? And, like, and he said a lot of the warm-ups that you do or the prehab or the, the night, uh, let's say, recovery drills you do is just because you're firing the wrong way. It might not be needed at all. So it was an eye-opening thing for me. But what was more eye-opening, this is what I'm getting to with this long story, was there are yeah. football teams now. They're doing RPR before games instead of warming up. So they lay these kids on the floor like it's a cult. You know, they're doing their love, their zone one, their zone two, and then they send them out on the field and just go play, which I think is yeah. insane. I haven't gotten that far yet, but it's sick.
1: No, it is sick. And after, you know, um, it, it, that's science for you, man. That's being innovative. And, uh, you know, after you do your proper uh, warm-up protocols, your dynamic warm-up, yeah, I do see, you know, you, I have seen that. I have seen that in the college setting. Um, guys actually doing workouts as well, like, Prehab activation, band workouts, getting a pump before the game actually starts. That's something you have seen Georgia Tech doing. Uh, Lewis Corrala, um, he's the head strength and conditioning coach for football at Georgia Tech. He's actually one of my mentors as well. Uh, I worked for him at the University
0: of Buffalo when I was volunteering there. Um, you know, you're saying before the see. game, like the morning of the game, these guys are pumping bands? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's nice to
0: get that vein pumping out of your bicep when you have the uniform on, too. Yeah, did you get a chance to meet J.L. Holdsworth? He was not at the conference, but he was the, one of the lead trainers for the course that I took.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, guy, dude. that guy's a savage, smart guy.
0: And I, what I like about him is he breaks things down in a simplistic way that anyone can understand. And he Absolutely. always said, this doesn't have to be perfect, just got to be good. He was actually – it's funny that you brought up the pain factor, and that's because when I was – I actually took uh,
1: the course out in Columbus, Ohio. And uh he was actually the instructor. Him and Chris, and they actually used me to ex- as an experiment. <laughs> and let me tell you something, man. He dug his fingers into me so hard, I was looking at him straight in the eye, and I was like, "Mother, you know." <laughs> it, it, was, it was like it was painful. So I could definitely uh back you up on that, Coach. 100%. Yeah, I, I felt.
0: Uh... I never felt so weak in my life in many ways when that yeah. guy was doing it to me. I actually want to find this guy and at least let him know I'm not a big wimp because I was in such, <laughs> such pain. Yeah. And that guy, uh, Holdsworth, he's huge. He's got these thick ass oh. hands, you know, <laughs> yeah. he comes he, he, he from, he can uh, rip through your body.
1: He comes from, uh, the West side barbell, uh, uh, background, Louis Simmons. Yeah. Uh, out there in Ohio. Those guys, you know, those guys are some of the
0: staples of strength and conditioning the way we do things nowadays. Um, and I, I believe he said that he reset Dave Tate, and then the guy PRs on like a back squat or something. And the, yeah, it's like, okay. I mean, it,
1: li- it literally, it literally changed. You know, you know, Coach Holdsworth had a you know opportunity. It, it changes people's lives in a way because people, you know, some people have been broke for years and years and never thought they were going to be able to get fixed. I'm not just talking about strength and conditioning people or weightlifters. I'm talking about people who, have you know, served our country. Um, anything you do in life, you know the the normal blue collar guys you see working every day plumbers electricians guys are broken down man guys are broken down and i know i've heard some stories about J.L. holdsworth uh you know changing people's lives with it
0: well think man if you, if you're a plumber right i have done a lot of manual labor with my dad on a heating and air conditioning truck but if you're a plumber and you yeah. got to climb underneath or crawl underneath a sink that hurts you know yeah. you're trying to fix a faucet mm-hmm. you know that change a stem valve or something like that it hurts so yeah if you can get into that position you're good yeah and and one one sick thing that I you know you're taking this class and that guy Chris Hallsworth is talking what's his last name again Chris uh Chris Corfus that guy so he's saying you know invisible lat syndrome it's a real thing yes but Mm -hmm. if you're teaching a guy to run right and I've did this my whole life is yeah, we want to have great arm angles. We want to be at a ninety degree angle, tuck them close to the body. He said, "Yeah, that's a yeah. compensation pattern for something else. You got to fix yeah. that zone one first before you exactly. fix that. Because if you fix that, then there's a comp- composition pattern coming somewhere else. You might hurt their, their calf or their Achilles." And I was like, "Oh my God, my whole life has changed. Exactly, everything's changed." Hey, and real quick, moving into um, as far as
1: resources when it comes to you know when I worked with the Bills, right? So there's something we use. It was called the isometric mid thigh pull. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's, no, it's based around two force plates. So each leg is on a force plate, and then you have a, uh, a, you know, a bar, you know, at mid uh, mid thigh level, right. And what it does, it it measures uh, maximum uh, strength. So you pull, you're pulling on this bar, right, at a standstill, and your feet, the force is being driven into the plates, and it actually they have strength indexes, you know, at the time with the bills where. You can do the IMTP, the maximal uh, you know, strength with the um with the pull, right? And they counteract that with the counter movement jump and their landing protocols on a mat, you know, the jump mats. Yep. And um that would that would show us at that level, you know, where the asymmetries and the deficiencies are, so we can properly program for those things so the guys, you know, obviously will reduce the risk of injury.
0: Now, when you say a pull, is it like a deadlift pull, no. uh, a high pull?
1: All right. So the bar is literally at a standstill, right? It's nice. Right. You know, get your force blades and then sort of like a Smith's machine,
0: um, where you can lock the bar in. Ah, so you're pulling on the bar, but it's not moving. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's just something I throw in there, tie into RPR. I, I like it. Yeah. Are you are you ready for some uh, some rapid fire questions now? Sure. Okay, what is the worst training advice you have ever gotten in your life? Worst training advice, as far as the whole approach, was probably Coach Manos.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: he's telling me to eat everything in sight. <laughs> you know, somebody else said that on another podcast. Really? Not from Coach Manos, but a college coach yeah. told them pause just to eat as much bus. as possible. Yeah, it was Greg Manos. <laughs> yeah, nice. Just eat everything, Dan, and, what- and eat everything. I'm like, all right. <laughs> listen, he was the guy talking about eating potatoes way before I was. And I was like – at first I was like, I can't eat any carbs. But then I went to a nutritionist, and the guy said, no, you got to eat a lot of potatoes. So Coach Menos, I'm following that advice. What's what's the worst advice you ever gave? The worst advice I've ever gave –
1: what, as far as training or just in general?
0: Yeah, training, training. I would say training. I mean, you you know – Maybe
1: in the beginning of my career, when I thought I was a professional strength coach, but I wasn't. Um, we were freaking. We were we were bench pressing me and Dom Martel. You know, we we were in the we went through a phase where we bench pressed like every day for, for a month straight, and that and it was all my idea. So I would say that rings a bell. But yeah, our benches went up though, but you know our shoulders. I think that's when Dom's uh onset of shoulder injury started. Uh, summer, you know, I was gonna say yeah.
0: The worst advice you ever gave, and I'm not going to repeat it on air, but it was uh, I heard you and Don Martel talking to his younger brother about dating girls, and I heard some of the worst advice ever in my life <laughs> in that moment. Yeah, that's definitely true. So if <laughs> uh, if if you had to have a tag team partner in advanced training, Ooh. who would it be? You get one pick.
1: Well, it wouldn't be Mike Morano because Mike Morano needs to step his game up, man. I was texting Mike <laughs> here the other day, and uh, I need him to do better. Um, if I had to pick one guy.
0: Hmm. Was Ali Agbu a part of advanced training? He was. He was for about six months. Was Joe I'neri? Joe Ignery was absolutely part of advanced training. Big part. I'm gonna pick Joe Ignary. And and why
1: Joe? Joe's a bulldog. I'm a pit bull. perfect match. Now how do
0: you know Joe? He's a he's a little bit older than you. So
1: Joe, um, funny story here. Um I was playing at Staten Island Boys. No, Staten Island Pee Wee at the time, right? I was playing under coach, Ballone. We were the Falcons. And uh, this talked into my, my story of actually me um, committing to San Joseph by the High School. Um, Ali Agbu and Joe Gnery would come down, right, um, to my games. Uh, Chris was uh, my teammate, younger brother. And me and Chris were just wiping everybody off the face. about Grandy, are saying Grandy. Chris Ign- Yeah, Chris. Chris Ignarius, Yep. okay. We were, just, we were just, you know, we were the dominant team at the time, right? And I didn't know where – I was going to go to Farrell. I didn't know where I wanted to go. You know, you know Farrell was, you know, uh, a powerhouse at the time, and um, that's where I was going, man. I was going to Farrell. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Coach. I didn't even take the co- – I don't even think I took the co-op. Remember the co-op again? I do. I think, like, I showed up and put my name on a piece of paper. I did A B C D I ended up getting like thirty. I didn't think it was that serious. Um on my co op and I had like more Farrell. I didn't even have C on the on the on the list. And they came down, they you know, we all made the connection. They were heavily recruiting me to come to St. Joseph by the Sea. Um, you know, under the table deals and stuff like that. And we set it up, man. Uh, Mrs. Ballone, I got in touch with Mrs. Ballone and uh, you know, they got me that's that's where my story starts, see Saint Joseph
0: by the Sea. That's how I ended up at C was from Joe Neri and Ali Agu. Okay. So when you joined advanced training, yes. it was one year. It was 2012. Yes. Was that right before you went to to uh, Nassau? That was right before I went to Nassau, correct. All right, good. So this question is going to be perfect. What was, at that time of your life, what was advanced training the answer to in your life? Like why would you come in? Well, to be
1: honest with you, I mean… You, you were the reason why I came into advanced training. Um, you know, you, you were a part of my training protocol in high school with sensei, Matt. And man, I remember, man, you just introduced me to the band workouts and the band resistance. And that's something that stuck with me. Um, I even, I even used some of those things that you taught me now with the bands. Um, moving on to that, uh, you know, coach Manos, uh, pushed me to go to you, George Mahoney. And man, I knew you, man. I had that, I had that trust. I had that relationship factor with you. And, uh, you know that's when honestly that's when that's when my um, like you said I was always kind of a strong kid but that's when my training principles started to kick in in my head I was following what you were doing and going home and researching well why are we doing a, a depth jump to a broad jump why are we doing this before the before we started after our warm up extensive warm up why are we doing this and that's when I started to develop you know understand power development and strength development and all that good stuff
0: that was from advanced training, to be honest with you. That, that's awesome, yeah. man. And I remember when – because I hadn't seen you, and I didn't know about the whole meniscus tear and, and you yeah. not going to play college football. I was always thinking, you know, why the hell isn't Brennan a part of this yeah. thing? Then Martel brought you around, <laughs> and I, then I'm thinking, all right, this kid's so strong, he's not going to want to hear anything I have to say. But you were always no. asking questions, always, yeah. which I yeah. loved. Yeah. Absolutely. So on that, on that same note, and thank you for that, by the way, that is very uh, humbling coming well, from the guy just, who's coached the at the level you're at. It's Just the truth. That's, it. that's the truth. So what, what advice, if you can go back in time and talk to your 15-year-old self, what advice would you give yourself?
1: <sighs> 15-year-old self? Um, you know, obviously the schooling aspect of it. Uh, I probably would have wanted to do a little better in school, apply myself a little more. It was all football for me, man. You know, that's, that was my glory. You know, that's where I, that's where I got my validation. You know, for my peers, for my father, for my coaches, it was football. That was my knack. Um, so I would say uh, applying myself
0: more in um, the academic side of things. And what about if your if your 40-year-old self can come back and talk to you? What do, what do you think your 40-year-old self is going to tell you right now?
1: Keep pushing. Keep
0: striving. See, the
1: thing is with me, man, and that's one thing that you had. To, I had to learn as a young coach was Hey, it doesn't matter where you want to be, where you're going to end up. It matters where you are now. You know, do the best of your ability to help people out now. And all those other things will fall into the
0: place. You just got to pray about it. That is awesome. Love it. All right. So what what is one thing that you think you brought to the culture of advanced training that was unique to you? Couldn't be replaced by anybody else. Um, I would say my pure intensity. Um, I was kind of an introvert intensity type of guy.
1: Um, but when it's time to bring it, I'm going to bring it. And no one's going to stop me. I'm running through brick walls to get where I need to be. And if anybody wants to challenge that, you know, you got Billy Blanco. You got Mike Morano, You got guys like Pete Amorosi, all tough guys, all strong guys, all competitive guys. But we might have to bring something back to advanced training
0: where, uh, you know, Pat Brennan make a pit stop. <laughs> Listen, man, the door is always open. And I'm looking at your – when you, with the time that you were in advanced training, 2012, you went uh, four and two in the challenges, and I do. Rem- you had the belt for a while, and I remember one time you had lost the belt, and you were, you were so mad I, at me. You were like, I, I do not want this belt. I didn't anyway. lose the and belt. And okay, I, I really it, did. I gave
1: it away. Yeah, <laughs> that was nice. Yeah. That <laughs> was nice. On.
0: <laughs> you didn't like the Stanley Cup. You don't yeah, want to keep no. holding on. To I got a heart. I want. I want to share the pie. So you're a guy who seems like you love to train but let's just say you're in the mood to not train. You're unmotivated. What do you do? How do you get yourself ready to go?
1: Um, well, as far as, you know, I'm big on recovery. I mean, you don't want to overtrain. Um, you don't want to increase the risk of being injured. Um, just, you know, following the um, nutrition side of things, you know, dialing it down, learning how to, you know, just, just taking a break, taking a deep breath, man. Uh, making sure your nutrition's your, your training calendar, all is up to date. Um, you know, maybe catching up on some work, um, ways to where I can – Get the army physical standards better than what they are now um, and just helping people you know helping people who are interested uh, in the coaching field my phone is you know always on man um, you know if anyone needs to call me man just pick up the phone and call me I'll talk about anything you know no man's better than any, anyone else we all you know no one's reinvented the, the wheel right um, there's a million different ways to roam and collectively you know if there's someone where
0: someone needs to be, you know, I want to be a part of helping them get there. And look, you, you gave me credibility when I walk into the high school I was at and say, yeah, I just talked to the uh, strength coach at Alabama and he approves of our workout plan. <laughs> what? Yeah, I said, yeah, he likes it. Okay, that, that gives me instant credibility. I also happened to mention that I talked to, I said, like, I talked to an NFL yeah. coach today. I talked to a guy from Alabama today. It was all yeah. you. I was like, the guy, the head of the conditioning hey. coach of the Army. Talked to all three of these guys today, and they approved yeah. of our work. Well, I'm
1: here. just a regular guy, Coach. I'm a regular so, guy so. trying to
0: be above average. That's all I am. That's all I am. <laughs> I don't believe That's that, that for am. a second, sir. So two, two, two more quick questions for you. Uh, the, the One of them is, what book, movie, or seminar, or something has made the biggest overall impact in your life? Like what, what motivates you outside of what you do inside you of the gym? What
1: movie are you talking about? Sure. Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, Rudy. Oof, beautiful, love it, love it, and hits home to your walk-on, uh, walk-on situation yes. at Buffalo. All right, last question, my selfish question that I ask every single person yes. on the podcast: What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter? And it doesn't have to be in lifting; it could be anywhere.
1: Remove clutter, huh?
0: Um, I would say. Give yourself yeah. a day, whatever the whatever it is now. This is in
1: general, right? Give yourself a day to take a deep breath. Hit back. Reevaluate what you're doing. Right? Reevaluate your goals. Like Manos always said, right? Coach Manos, write down your goals. Write them down. Check them off. Always have something that's at the end of the tunnel. End of the tunnel, right? That can show some life. Right? That that that's the one thing I can tell you to um, get rid of some clutter. Always write down your goals. And take the proper steps into getting there. Don't rush. Just get
0: there. Is this something that you do like once a week? Is it at the end of every day? Is it mini goals? How does it work in your life? I would say, no, it's not once
1: a week. No. There's different levels to the goals that I write down, right? Whether it be six months, a year, two-year goal, five-year plan, ten-year plan. You know, those goals are written down in my notebook, man. You know, sometimes you got to go back. You know, if you get off track and look at what you wrote down, um, That's the way I do it. And as you go, you check the goals off. You always keep them in the book. You don't erase them. So make sure
0: you use an ink. <laughs> and, and to your point, man, like I, I'm really good at mini goals and daily goals. I'm very bad at the big goal. So I, I need to do better at that. I, maybe at least once a month go down or, and go back to that big goal, what is it? Because for me, it's always about the... What's, what am I going to do today? What am I going to accomplish today? And it's not about where the hell is this leading to. All right, man. We've hit it. We've hit about a, an hour and ten minutes. Loved every second of it. i got to get you back on this thing again, and we'll do talk some more specific training, but this hey, is coach, good to hear the, thing, bat, the Pat Brennan story. And as far as yes. the goals
1: go, right? No matter who you are, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be the head football coach of the New York Giants, right? Just sit back, take a deep breath, right? And just understand that, that the goals is the foundation, right? But Throughout that journey, whether it's a week, six months, two years, five years, you got to be able to adapt to change. You have to, right? So uh, adaptation is huge and being able to move on the fly
0: and make changes when it's needed for your benefit and for people around you. I love it because if you wrote down your storybook, it wouldn't look like what I'm looking at your resume. Your resume sick, but I'm sure when you were uh, 18 years old, you didn't draw it up this way, no. and now you're at where you're no. at. It wasn't. It wasn't a straight road, right? There was a lot of turns on the way. I was supposed
1: to be on a crane, on a high level, according to Mattos. I was gonna be on a. I was gonna be on a construction site on a high level, you know, move, moving moving parts around. But uh, you know that that was his plan for me, but that wasn't
0: my plan. Well, you you made it where yeah. you're at, brother. I'm super Thank proud you. of you. you you come a long way. I'm, I'm excited to learn from you in the future, and let's do this again. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Pat. Great talking to you, absolutely. man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for All your right, time. Both. All right. Stay safe, brother. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.